Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are normally a call-in show. You hear me giving out the number, but we're not going to do that today because we're coming to you by tape. Uh, I have a very special guest in the studio. Uh, We'll be back live again next week. So if you have some emails you want to send in the meantime, that's good. I will jump on those next week and and we can talk about uh, whatever your questions are then. Our special guest today is a friend of mine, Jay White. Uh, Jay is the uh, managing owner, uh, chief cook, bottle washer, uh, all the above for Texas Gardener Magazine. That is true. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Skip. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun. Well, it it, it is fun, and uh, we're going to learn a lot today, I can tell you that. Uh, Also, we're going to have some fun, I think, in the process. Uh, First of all, just to start, uh, there's probably some listeners out there uh, who have been living under a rock who haven't heard of Texas Gardener Magazine. So tell us a little bit about the magazine, uh, your goals, uh, how you aim the magazine compared to other things. Well, so like you say, if you're a gardener, um, I'm always surprised. You know, we get out, we talk. That's how we promote the magazine Mm -hmm. as we visit with Master Gardener groups, garden clubs and all of that and i'll always say how many people take the magazine or have heard of the magazine and it's not a unanimous show of hands and so i am surprised there are uh, we've been around 43 years i mean texas gardener wow. was started in in 1981 by chris corby in waco and he did it for 37 years and then my wife and i bought it from him as i was getting ready to retire from my mm-hmm. I, I like to say air quotes my real job yeah and um, so, but anyway, now, you know, we're running Texas Gardener. We're having a blast. And I think the thing that has kept us around for 43 years is because we have people like you that write for us. Um, you know, if you don't know about Texas Gardener, we are a bi-monthly magazine. And while we're a pretty magazine, I think people like to think of gardening magazines as pretty magazines. We're a pretty magazine with a education mission. And so, and I really think that's why we stay around because people trust us because all of our writers are degreed working horticulturalists in the state of Texas. So we are all Texas all the time. And we have readers and writers in most of the main regions of mm-hmm. Texas. And so, I mean, through the years, people have just learned that they can trust our writers. It's nothing special that I do. Yeah. It's, I'm just lucky to, to be friends with a bunch of really, really good horticulturalists. Well, you, you really do. Uh, you know, when it comes to things like vegetable gardening uh, patty leander over in the austin area she just she lives and sleeps vegetables she knows what she's talking about you got greg grant on there which i don't know how you manage that one but uh greg <laughs> and we've had greg for 35 years <laughs> that's amazing he's barely 35 yeah yeah <laughs> he must have paid you a 20 dollar bill yeah uh so uh let's see Lisa Whittlesey has, has done some writing for you for on youth gardening and the Junior Master Gardener program. Yeah, that has been a really big deal for us. When Sally and I took over the magazine, not only did we want to encourage education, but we wanted to encourage people, our, our readers especially, mm-hmm. because our readers are kind of in that 50 to 70 demographic. Mm-hmm. So most of them have kids or grandkids and all. 
And we wanted them to have the tools to take their kids and grandkids outside, get them involved in, in horticulture early on, get them excited right. about it. And so Lisa does a, a article for us every issue called Little Green Thumbs, and it's great. I mean, if, you, if you've got the grandkids, you don't know what mm-hmm. to do with them, turn to the back of the magazine, and she will have something fun and horticultural for you. That, that's great. Uh, one of your taglines is... Uh, by Texas gardeners for Texas gardeners. I think that principle is also part of why the magazine is successful. It is, and I truly believe that. And I got a call, you know, my my sponsors will like this, but I got a call from a lady this week. They, you know, people like to call and chat. And even our ads are, are, we try to focus on Texas um, producers Mm -hmm. and, I mean. Companies. Yeah, Texas Mm -hmm. companies and all. And I had a lady call in and said she really appreciates that because she likes to know that these products are not only made here, but they're going to work here. Mm -hmm. And so she said she really felt like that even the advertisements that we had provided an educational benefit. Well, you know. We in Texas are very proud of our state, and uh, we will be glad to drone on incessantly about the wonderful many aspects of Texas. Uh, But I think that kind of loyalty is unique among the states. I'm not saying nobody in any other state is proud of their state. I'm just saying down here, it's a, you know, like there's a bumper sticker. I'm from Texas. What country are you from? Yeah. (laughs) That sort of tells it. But along those lines, I don't know that our listeners recognize just how fortunate we are to have a magazine by gardeners in Texas, for for gardeners in Texas. Uh, Jay, you and I have talked before, but you can explain it better. The the uh, as you go across the country, there are not a lot of gardening magazines for states, right? That is true. So when we bought the magazine five years ago, there were 37 regional gardening magazines. Across the country. Across the country. You know, Oklahoma Gardener, Arkansas Gardener, Louisiana Gardener, Texas Gardener, and all of that. And just the last five years, that number has dwindled down to where there's just five left. And one thing that we're incredibly proud of is Texas Gardener is the only one that is a for-profit magazine. Mm -hmm. And the other ones, like they have one in California, California Gardener, it's sponsored by the floral department or the floral growers there. Okay. And then the one that they have in Pennsylvania and the one that they have in Minnesota, they're sponsored by the Arbological Societies, the Horticultural Societies. So these are all kind of like add-ons. So like Mm -hmm. if you join the Master Gardeners and you automatically got a subscription Mm -hmm. to... Minnesota Gardener. That that's kind of what happens okay. with them, and so we're really proud of the fact that people stick with us um, year after year after year because I do think we have good, reliable, trustworthy content, mm-hmm. that's and good. Um, and so we're really proud of that. Yeah. So uh, you guys have a digital edition online. So we do. Y- you can choose to get either or. You know, I have to be careful when I I, I get kind of salesy, so I'll just kind of tone it down a little bit. But I will tell you, the more that I use, personally use Texas Gardener, when I'm putting the magazine together, when I'm trying to research things, I use the digital edition. I truly believe it is an incredible tool because number one, if you're a serious gardener, every January, February, we do an issue on tomatoes. Uh, I mean, a 2,500 word in-depth look at some aspect of growing tomatoes. Well, if you get a digital subscription, you get 10 years 
past issues of Texas Gardener. So all of a sudden, for you know oh. the price of a digital subscription, you can go back and really do a deep dive into your love of yeah. tomatoes. Right. Or a recent thing that we did by Keith Hansen was on extending the azalea bloom time based yeah. on variety selection. You got 10 years of azalea articles by you know right. a really good azalea grower in East Texas. Yeah, that's true. And by the way, Keith, he's retired from Extension, but uh, but uh, he used to be the horticulturist there in Tyler. Yeah, you know, Smith County. Yeah. And so Well, that um, that is true. Uh, it's a it, that's a nice a nice benefit. As you've looked at subscribers in your time with the magazine, uh, have you noticed any um, trends or any changes or you know are you are we seeing more of new gardeners are we seeing more you see what i'm asking oh yeah so i love when we hear from people and we hear from people almost every week that will call in and say i have got every issue of your magazine and we love those people so you know i'm so proud that they have stuck with us year after year and they continue to find value from the magazine but you know ever since covid hit um things have changed and so COVID kept a lot of people home, and um, it stirred an interest in gardening, healthy eating, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so gardening really started taking off with a younger demographic. And now, you know, with the economy being a little uncertain, you know, Mm -hmm. people are kind of nervous about that. Historically, if you look at... um, you know, research done by Charlie Hall and other mm-hmm. people, then you'll see that when the financial part of our um, country or, or our economy is kind of rocky, there is a big uptick in the interest of growing food, growing food at home and things like that. And so we're really seeing that now. We're getting so many new subscribers um, that are younger people. And when mm-hmm. I say younger people, I'm you know, it can be any age, but right. primarily we're talking about People that have young kids, right. because not only are they interested in growing healthy food for themselves, but right. they really are concerned about giving their children right. healthy food. And then the other thing, a lot of people like having the ability to know how to get their kids outside and involved, mm-hmm. because not only does it grow healthy food, it grows healthy habits. There you it, go. It lets them, you know, have a love, yeah. begin to have a love and a sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's right. I love the sense of wonder. I mean, the other day, I have got this, um, what do you want to call it, a dwarf lime that I'm trying. Okay. So I'm trying a dwarf lime tree. <laughs> And I went outside, and I was watering it, and I looked down, and it had a caterpillar on it. And I was like, oh, I don't recognize that caterpillar. Did it you look know? like bird poop? No, it did not look it like bird poop. It was not that poop. one. It was not that one. <laughs> and I haven't figured it out yet, but it was fuzzy, and it had a long thing off okay. of its tail or whatever. But it gave me a—it it was like, wow, I don't know that caterpillar, mm-hmm. but I know it like citrus. And so mm-hmm. that's going to help me figure there out. You go. And it's just— that always gives me a sense of wonder. I've had that little citrus tree two weeks, and somehow in two weeks, the right butterfly found that tree, right. laid an egg, and a caterpillar emerged. It's a, it is a wonder. It's, and so, yeah, it, it's uh, those things are really, really nice. I've seen over my career, uh, you know, back a long time ago, uh, well, before I started as a horticulturist, in the 70s especially, there was a real movement toward gardening. And you watch those things kind of ebb and flow. I mean, there's always gardeners and, you know, right. and whatnot. But it's suddenly, and I've noticed once or twice and recently, uh, I see a lot of 
uh, maybe young moms that want to get out in the garden with the kids, moms and dads, uh, but they don't have that grandma's garden experience right. that another uh, Like you decade, and my generation. All right. Well, well yeah. <laughs> right. uh, grew up with. And so they're coming to Extension, AgriLife Extension Service. They're looking at places like Texas Gardener. And uh, it, it's, it's encouraging because you just see a whole new generation of gardeners. I know a, a lot gardeners uh, probably skew a little to the older side uh, just because it's one of those things that uh, as you get ready to you know, retire and do things, it's, you have a little more time in the yard and, and whatnot. But they're the wide span of ages that that encourages me a lot. And I, I, I don't want to make this a, it's not going to be a one hour commercial for Texas Gardener, but I do want to say <laughs> something along those lines. You know, there are some beautiful magazines out there in gardening, national magazines. I don't have to name them all. They're on the checkout stand when you go through the grocery store. But when you read those, you see pretty pictures and inspiration, but you know, they may be talking about the forsythia or the lilacs or, or something that doesn't grow here. And a lot of them are not so hand to down in the dirt. And with with the magazine, we're talking about Texas Gardener. It, it's like you pick it up and you learn and there are pretty pictures, of course, but you kind of can set it down and go do that out in the garden today because it's timed that way. And it's written that way. You have your writers across the board are just really practical, um, uh, and and as you said, very very intelligent, and informed uh, in terms of knowing the craft they're they're writing about. Yeah, that is true. And one thing else that I really like about a lot of them, like in the food articles, you know, a lot of times we'll have a tip in there or a recipe, like how to preserve mm -hmm. it or how to cook it, mm -hmm. especially with the herbs and things yes. like that. So it really is. Uh, yeah. It is a, a useful tool. Patty is really good about that in her yeah. vegetable writing. And seed sources. And seed sources, yes. too. Yeah. So, yeah, where do you get this thing? So Well, that's cool. Well, I'd like to ask you a question. I, I'm I always am curious uh, about this when I visit with uh, experienced gardeners, but what are some things, Jay, that you wish you knew w when you began gardening that you've learned either in, you have a horticulture degree uh, and your many years of experience that you know now, but man, if I could go back and tell the guy that. So there's so many things, but I think the main thing that I've learned the main thing that I've learned, and you get inspiration from different places, you know, but have you seen Jurassic Park? Uh-huh. You know how in Jurassic Park when the dinosaurs are reproducing and they can't figure out why because they made them all female? Well, old Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum says something like, life finds a way. <laughs> and and that, that was all that's very inspiring to me in the garden because what I take from that is I get so many people that call in, especially young gardeners. So I got a question the other day and it said, it's March 20th, and I didn't get my tomatoes out on March 15th. Is it too late? Have I missed my window? And the thing that I tell people is these plants want to live. Mm -hmm. And if, they, if you will just give them half a chance, you know, if you'll get them out close to those recommended dates and you'll give them close to that amount of water that you think they need and all, you'll mm -hmm. be surprised. I mean, life finds a way. These plants truly do want to grow for you. Yeah. So kind of loosen up 
Mm-hmm. I mean, look at your average planning dates and things like that. Understand and know those, mm-hmm. but also know that there's a lot of flexibility out yeah. there. Okay, uh, that's don't a good one. be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to try. And what's the worst case, Skip? What happens if I plant a tomato on March 31st? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I don't get as many tomatoes, maybe. That's right. You're not going to get as many tomatoes. Mm -hmm. It might get too hot and die. But you lost a tomato but gained a lot of knowledge. Well, one way I like to put kind of what you're saying is I see gardening as uh, using an etch-a-sketch, and that includes landscaping. Remember those things where you tried to go left, right, up, or down, and inevitably your brain turned it the wrong way and you messed up your picture? Right. What do you do? You hold it upside down and shake it. That's, That's right. called a rototiller. There you go. <laughs> so <laughs> if if you don't like it, if it got eaten up by bugs or diseases, just clear it out and plant again. That's That's the annual cycle of gardening that just makes it new and you know i think gardening keeps keeps us young uh, i do too because and i see that uh because there's always hope you know when you pick up the dried detritus in a seed packet and look at those and know that that is a bunch of tomatoes that's right for, for making ketchup or canning or whatever or whatever you're planting uh, there's a hope when you put that in the ground and every year is going to be better next year you know you you have a uh, you you learn you get good advice and I, I think that's cool so your your number one uh, things you wish you knew was was that nature Just, finds a way nature finds a way don't be afraid yeah you know get out there and do things don't be afraid to fail yeah. and just FYI I plan on the thing that you said is that you know gardening is hope mm-hmm. and one of the quotes I found a long time ago that I like and it says no garden is ever better than next year's is that it yeah, I like that I like <laughs> so, that yeah. Um, so right. always hopeful. So what else uh, d- might you wish that you had known back when you first began? Well, you know, like I give a talk um, uh, and I, it's called Growing Great Gardeners. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the four or five things that I really think separate good gardeners from great gardeners. Okay. And so I think I'm a pretty good gardener. I, I don't even know if I consider myself a great gardener. But there are just certain things that when you get together and you talk to a, an older or a more experienced gardener, there's just things that they're going to know that they've incorporated into their daily lives. Okay. And like one thing that I tell people, one of the first things that you need to do if you're going to think about starting a new garden or whatever, you need to find out what USDA hardiness zone you are. Okay. And what that hardiness zone does, you know, it's kind of based on, you know, your extreme temperature raises, your extreme cold and your extreme heat, but it also works in to your last frost date. So your average last frost date. And so you need to understand when that is uh, because if you're going to be planting annuals, it's not such a big deal with perennials. Perennials have things that are built into them that allow them to take a little bit of cold. Mm-hmm. But your annual vegetables, I, I heard Greg Grant say one time that when you're planting a vegetable garden, you're planting a bunch of thoroughbreds. These things have been bred uh, to produce as much food as they can in a period of less than a year. I mean, a lot of these annuals that we plant, you know, your green beans, Four to six months, they are completely done. You right. know, you have planted those um, early. They produced early, and then they burn up, and they're they're done. And so, because of that, you have to know when to get those things in the ground. To me, that is that is the biggest. 
thing that I think gardeners mm -hmm. miss right. is that you will have much more luck if you plant these things on time than if you worry about how many cups of organic fertilizer to put out on a 10-foot row. I mean, just know you got to get them in the ground early or at the right time, get them producing, and you understand you're going to have to feed and water them. Yeah. But if you put them in too late, there's no amount of food or water that is going to push that plant into additional production. I mean, it's going to yeah. actually have declining production. That That's true. Yeah. yeah. So zones are very important, knowing our seasons. Uh, pe people that move to our area from, let's say, the Midwest or California or New Jersey or wherever, right? they are used to planting tomatoes at a completely different time. And, and so readjusting and recognizing that we have this thing called summer that <laughs> they don't experience, uh, you know, north of the southern tier of states, uh, that really changes. It, 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 uh, knowing that helps them avoid, you know, the disappointment of Right. Success. Any other thoughts about well, things maybe you wish you knew? Along on, along that line of what you just said, you know, we do have summer in Texas. We have real summer in Texas. And sometimes real summer in Texas comes like it did last year on the 1st of April, and it goes to like 100 degrees and stays there for 100 days. Mm -hmm. So we have real heat that we have to worry about managing. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to have a fall garden, we also occasionally have real winter. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of my second biggest tips that that we have mm -hmm. is that you want to be a good manager okay. and, and being a good manager is understanding that it's if you know that your last freeze date is going to be March 15th and you understand that green beans can go in a little bit earlier mm -hmm. or whatever so you're going to plan on planting around say March 1st in a lot of our area here and yeah. the, the Brazos Valley or whatever then you know that if you wanted to be an organic gardener you needed to get some organic matter worked into that soil back in January. Mm -hmm. So do what you need to do when it needs to be done. So work your organic matter in two or three months early because, you know, as you know, organics, they don't work instantly. They're mm -hmm. your original slow-release fertilizer. Mm -hmm. that's, how the, that's how the forest floor yeah. turns living organ or dead organic materials into soil. That's right. Soil. That's right. Yeah. And on your forest floor analogy, I like that too, because we get a lot of calls from people that are concerned about mushrooms and slime molds mm -hmm. and things like that. And um, that's just nature being nature. That's what happens. If you walk through a forest, you know, you're going to have the mushrooms popping up. You're going to have a slime mold here, you know, yeah. it's, and that is a perfectly natural part of the process. So, mm -hmm. so that's to me are kind of the advanced techniques. You kind of learn that kind of stuff, you know, as you advance in your gardening skills. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting out, I mean, you can get the general um, advice of find the sunniest spot on your mm -hmm. place, you know, right. create the best soil that you can. But primarily, it's be a good manager. Read and understand that if you're going to plant on March 1st, you really need to start preparing the soil probably January 1st, yeah. at the least February 1st. I, I like to say uh, spend a dollar on the brown stuff before you spend a dollar on the green stuff. Yes. Or at least spend those $2 at the same time. Yeah. Uh, because to plop a plant into unprepared soil, uh, it's it's just you're on your way to disappointment because about 80% of success has happened when that plant or seed goes in. You've chosen a sunny or a shady spot. The plant's going to have an opinion about that. Right. It's either well-drained or it's not, and it's going to have an opinion about that. The soil nutrients have either been incorporated or they haven't. 
you've chosen a variety uh, that may or may not, and you've chosen a planting time. And so all the things we would do afterwards that we think of as taking care of the garden, they, they fa uh, fade in comparison to the importance of soil first and right. getting that right and getting the location, build the raised beds, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's another thing that uh, I just like to stress because, you know, if you don't do that, that's where people say, well, I don't have a green thumb. And, and I believe there are no brown thumbs. They're uninformed thumbs. Right. And so you turn it green by learning. And, and, and some of learning comes from experience. A fellow named J.C. Ralston, uh, who was in, I believe he's in North Carolina, a very well-known uh, horticulturist, uh, he made a statement that if you're not killing plants, you're not really stretching yourself as a gardener. That <laughs> and and if anybody knew how to grow a plant, it was J.C. Ralston. Yeah. But it, give yourself permission to, to try it. In some years, nature throws us curves. And so you do everything right, and you still have that. Yeah, last but, year, last year for the vegetable garden, I mean, did you have a great vegetable garden? It was, well, th there's a saying that the cobbler's kids go barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I got when I find myself constantly on the road going somewhere to talk or do something uh, and all the other stuff going on, uh, Sometimes things get a little bit behind me, but I had some crops that thrived and some that didn't do as well last year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I've already mentioned it earlier, but if you remember last spring was a, such an unusual spring and that it got so hot so early and then it just stayed hot. And so for a lot of us, you know, we really you had, you know, if things aren't doing well, get out that rototiller, mm -hmm. you know. Some points, and, and last year was one of them, for a lot of things, it was just best to till them under, let them start feeding the soil, and mm -hmm. then start over again in the fall. That's a good point. And that's what really wound up happening with me personally in my, my home gardens. My fall gardens were much better than my spring gardens. Uh -huh. But, like I say, it was because I had a lot of failure in the spring, and oh. I just turned it over and said, well, you're going to become soil micro or you're going to feed soil microbes so, uh. <laughs> i i guess this is going to become quote day since we're both dropping quotes out there but <laughs> a guy named jimmy turner who used to be the oh, head of the jimmy dallas turner. botanical garden yeah. he said that my gardening success is built on the compost of my failures oh and, that's good and i think that's a good way to look at it that that is very good <laughs> and very true all right anything else you wish you knew well, I mean, there's so many things. So I tell people, give yourself permission. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be afraid to take chances. Don't admit your failures. Mm -hmm. Don't be so locked into the rules. But the main thing that you're going to want to do, if you're going to be successful year after year, mm -hmm. is you need to journal. And, and I just truly believe this with all my heart. You've got an article coming out in the next issue mm -hmm. where you talk about a variety of squash that you found that produces much more than the yellow squash you were producing. Mm -hmm. Twofold. Twofold. That's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. With my scatterbrained and with me running and going, if I didn't write that variety down somewhere oh, yeah. in a journal mm -hmm. and be able to refer back to it, well, mm -hmm. when it comes January, when you can still get squash seeds, you right. know, when you're sitting there going through the catalogs and all, yeah. I'd be like, oh. What was that variety that squash gave, or that yeah. Skip told me about? Yeah. But if you journal, if you write the stuff down, mm -hmm. it's going to help you remember those things. Yeah, and it'll it'll help you go back and remember 
um, some of the things that happened in the garden, when they occurred, and and uh, it just is, is a good idea. Some people are paper people. Right. You know, they want a notebook, maybe a three-ring binder, you know, so they can cut out newspaper articles and put them in there or, you know, do other things to add to that that journal notebook. Uh, some people are digital. Right. And I use the uh, OneNote app, Microsoft OneNote. Th- that's not a commercial for OneNote. It just fits me really well. You can you can uh, copy stuff from the web, copy it, and when you paste it into OneNote, the URL of where it came from is put in there with it. And so anytime I'm trying to, you know, add to that, it just it's so easy, and I like that version. I'm sure there's some probably some better apps for that, but well, you just gave me a OneNote tip. I didn't oh, okay. know that. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, there are really great digital apps out there. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to the App Store, and there's several of them that are good garden journals. Right. I'm just in favor. I don't care if you do it digitally. I don't do it, care if you do it on scraps of paper or whatever just you do. do you just need to do it. And like to me, a very good example is a squash vine borer. You know, we talk about squash vine borer a lot because mm-hmm. if you love yellow squash and you grow most, it. Most of those words when we talk are, are not fit for children. That's right. Hear. Okay. That is right. <laughs> and, and so, and the problem with her is there's really not any good chemical controls for her. And so if you're going to control her, then you're going to use some of these things that we're talking about, some of our management practices mm-hmm. and everything to control her. So you're either going to plant early and grow really big plants before you ever put them out or you're going to keep row cover on hand to grow Mm -hmm. them under cover and do some hand you know Mm self-pollination but none of that matters if you don't know when she's coming yeah and so my biggest tip that i tell people and this is nothing new i didn't create it you know but the number one thing that you can put in your garden is your shadow Mm -hmm. that's the number one thing you can do and if you can regularly go in your garden and i tell people go in the morning and go in the evening because you're going to see a different set of pests or beneficials things like Mm -hmm. that that some are going to be out in the morning some are going to come out in the evening and you can go out there and the only good thing about the squash vine borer is she lets us know when she's there so you can hear her you know she buzzes around when she's flying i've never i've never noticed that yeah so if you're out there and it's the middle of march and you hear something kind of buzzing around Mm and it's not a honeybee, then you need to start looking under those squash leaves okay. because she's probably there. She's laying eggs. And so make a note of that. And after two or three years, when you start noticing her showing up in your garden, um, mm-hmm. then you'll know, okay, if she's going to be here by March 15th, then I need to have my squash <laughs> under row cover by March 14th at least, you know. Yeah. And, and that's just one of those good management techniques. And just FYI, one thing I like about gardeners, gardeners are very social. And somebody recently told me I was doing a talk in the Dallas area, and they have like a North Texas Gardeners Facebook group. And they were tracking the squash fine borer on this Facebook group. Oh, really? Yeah, so like somebody down in Middle Othian would say, okay, I saw one in my garden. And then somebody, you know, up in the central Dallas would say, hadn't seen her yet, but, you know, on the lookout for her. And I thought that was kind of, that was kind of funny that she is such a pest. I'm telling people to write it down and all, but there are (laughs) evidently Facebook groups and all that you can get in to um, track her project or her progress. That, that is, that is cool. Well, I'm going to shift a little bit, and that was things you wish you'd known when you started. And this may sound like the same question, and that is, what advice would you give new gardeners now? And so without repeating those things, what kind of things 
uh, it's a different time now. We have different products available. We have different varieties and stuff. How do you see that gardeners have gone wrong, and therefore when a new gardener comes in, you steer them straight on on uh, topics? So what kind of advice, uh, li some listener to the show today, what kind of advice would you give them? They're excited. They want to get into gardening. They may even have already started a little garden this spring. Any thoughts on that? So one of the things that when I went, I, I have, like you said, I have a master's in horticulture from A&M. And one of the most eye-opening experiences that I had while I was at A&M is I had to take a greenhouse management course. Okay. I had never been in a greenhouse, you know. I mean, horticulture was not my my first business or my first line of work. And I found this, this greenhouse management course fascinating because, you know, I was in my 40s when I, I got my master's. And so when I walked into that greenhouse, I didn't just see a bunch of plants. I was like... I walked in and I was like, my gosh, look at all the sun, look at all the heat, look at all the moisture. Mm -hmm. How do they keep disease off of these plants? And so it just made me look at it and say, how do these commercial people do it? Because, you know, there's always that saying, I don't care what you're talking about, follow the money. Follow the money. The money is going to tell you the truth if you want to know the truth. Well, if you want to know the truth about horticulture, kind of follow the money. Look at what the commercial people do. You know, okay. get out. Talk to them. Um, join local gardening groups and things like that. And you'll learn about things like the IPM triangle, the integrated pest management thing. Mm -hmm. And it will tell you, you know, that you can worry about what to spray on this or what to sprinkle on that or whatever. But really... If you step back and take kind of a wider view and a kind of look, the integrated pest management um, triangle gives you, you know, a base of practices to do, and then you can move up. And finally, the last thing that it says you should do on any of your problems is apply chemicals. That's the very last thing that you should hmm. do. But the very first thing you should do or build what you call your cultural practices. And that's kind of what you said earlier, that before you spend, to me, before you spend a penny on a plant, you should spend a dollar on your soil. Mm -hmm. I mean, too many young gardeners, I, I understand that sometimes some of these soil additives are expensive or whatever, but they don't have to be. You know, look around, read, find somebody that you trust and understand. So, Skip, I know I've seen pictures of you with your car absolutely full of bags of leaves that you've picked up off of the side of the road. For the listeners, I want you to, in your mind's eye, imagine a Toyota Corolla carrying 13 bags of leaves. Yeah. It's on the roof. <laughs> it can it's be in done. the trunk. It's it in the back seat. <laughs> it looks like the Beverly Hillbillies heading to California. but <laughs> It did. But what was it? why did you pick those leaves up? Oh, it, it's... Brown gold for brown, the garden. Brown gold. Uh, the vast majority of what a tree takes up nutrient-wise, not talking about the carbon content, which is in the wood, right. is in the leaves. And right. so when you put a bag of leaves at the curb, you're putting fertilizer at the curb. You're putting compost at the curb. You're putting mulch at the curb. That's right. Organic matter. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a leaf. It doesn't matter if it's the stuff that you're collecting on your kitchen counter that you're putting out. You're putting organic matter in that soil. And that's what um, I think is one of the most misunderstood concepts of how organic gardening works and things like that. But it really doesn't matter if you're doing organic gardening or if you want to call it traditional or, or commercial gardening, however you want to call it. You need healthy soil. And, and healthy soil only comes from feeding it. 
And so we put fertilizers out to feed our plants, but we need to put organic matter into the soil to feed the soil microbes because that's what really feeds our plants organically are the mm -hmm. microbes and, and the excrement from the microbes and the dead bodies of the, the small animals mm -hmm. and plants and funguses mm -hmm. and all that are breaking up and releasing yeah. their um, chemical soup to the soil. Okay, so in addition to soil, uh, some advice for a new gardener. Okay, so I think soil goes along with the new garden. So, but full sun, of course, get as much sun as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't go wrong with eight, eight hours of sun. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, try to find six hours of sun. Um, that's going to be your number one factor to success, especially in a vegetable garden. Okay. And so, I mean, there are a lot of the leafy stuff, and you'll learn stuff that through the years the sun will change and all of that. Mm -hmm. Full sun is first. Soil Second, okay. build your soil first. Mm -hmm. If you want to be successful, then you need to find the high success crops and you need to start with those. Okay, so like I've got a young girl that lives down the street from me right now. She's nine. She wanted to have a vegetable garden. And I said, okay, what do you want to grow? And so she told me, well, I want to grow tomatoes. Mm -hmm. I want to grow cucumbers. You know, I love carrots and all. Luckily, those are all pretty high success crops mm -hmm. as long as... Priscilla, her name is Priscilla, and she's nine. As long as Priscilla didn't want to start her tomatoes from a seed in March, she needed to understand she needed to go out and buy transplants, mm -hmm. okay? And so her parents took her out. They bought her a couple of cherry tomatoes because you're going to be much more likely to have a lot of success with a cherry tomato than you are a beefsteak. And so start with transplants, um, and start with high success crops. And like some of the high success crops, like I say, green beans. March 1st, go to the local nursery, buy a pack of green beans, put them out, water them. There's a pretty good chance you're going to get a crop of green beans. Yep, yep. You know, another one that um, the kids like, you put them out a little bit earlier, but they love carrots. Kids love carrots. Put mm -hmm. them out. They take a minute to germinate, but they do germinate in mm -hmm. three or four months. You're... <laughs> typically going to get some some carrots potatoes okay. they're another one that are super simple mm -hmm. you know um, so start with high success crops and understand this is one thing a lot of people don't understand even though it says you can plant tomatoes on March 15th you need to do a little research and understand they're not talking about planting a tomato seed you know they are talking about planting tomato a, a tomato transplant that yeah. by that time hopefully has little yellow flowers on it yeah that's so, good. That's um, good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one, a couple of them in okay. that uh, that I would throw into the advice for gardeners, and we come back. I'm sure you got some more, uh, but the size of the garden. People get all excited and they build this monster, and then by June, here the weeds are knee high, and you know they're losing their interest, and and so just, you could start in a five gallon bucket with holes drilled in the bottom. I mean, it could be that simple, uh, but start small oh I yeah that's no i 100 yeah. percent. and so i was talking to a guy the other day and he said when he started and he's the only guy i've ever heard talk, tell me this so that's why it stood out he said his goal was he wanted to grow one thing that he would eat the first year okay. and that was his goal and so he started out in a five gallon bucket that he drilled holes in he went to the store bought some potting mm -hmm. soil put a tomato in it and grew a cherry tomato 
Okay. And that motivated him so that next year he moved on to that second and that third vegetable. Yeah. Because you're 100% right. Okay. If you bite off two more, more than you can chew, you're not going to be successful. Well, I'm going to throw one more bit of advice for brand new gardeners in. And uh, this one is a shameless plug for the folks I work for. Uh, you have a thing called the AgriLife Extension Office yes. that serves every uh, one of the 254 counties in Texas. You have someone there that can advise you, and they have a lifeblood to the soil lab, a lifeblood to the plant pathology lab. You know what I'm saying? And they can direct you in the right way. And, oh, my gosh, that is it is free it's help. And it, it makes a difference. And then uh, along with that is the Aggie Horticulture website. It's aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu. Uh, but there is 20-something publications on every vegetable you can imagine growing and some you hadn't thought of growing. And how to, it's just, it's, you could spend a day just clicking around and realizing everything that's in that website. And that's ready to go to help you along. So I'd, I'd put those shameless plugs in and kind of along the lines of what that basically means is get, get good research-based advice. Hand in hand with that is a new gardener needs to delete every social media app off their phone <laughs> because they lie. Uh, you know, everybody's an expert. Uh, you see pictures on, I see pictures on Pinterest and I just look at them and start picking them apart. My wife <laughs> sometimes rolls her eyes at me because it, it's like... Here's these bottles hanging upside down against a white wall, and there's all these tomatoes and everything coming out of them. They did not grow them there. They grew them somewhere else, and they stuck them on that wall, or that wall wouldn't be white if they had were splashing soil. You know, but you see what I'm saying. I saw one one time, Jay. I'm not kidding you, and it was seeds for sale, and they were t multicolored tomatoes on the same bush, and I'm talking neon colors oh, not yeah. you know when we say a purple tomato it's not really purple yeah. but i'm talking about neon like blue and and uh green but it's a green <laughs> it's like you bought spray paint well it's just a lie pt barnum was right there's a sucker born every minute and uh, so well somebody just so you know sent me that very ad oh, did they? through email and they said is this legit is this a real thing <laughs> yeah yeah I, I know. Like, so. Oh, I, it just drives me nuts. But, uh, you know, I know people aren't going to delete all their social media apps, but don't believe them. Oh, don't, yeah. don't believe stuff that. Well, uh, it's your it's what you said. Find who you can trust. Find mm -hmm. reliable information because yeah. all that stuff that you said at Aggie Horticulture, yeah. they haven't grown one tomato. Mm -hmm. They've grown a field full of tomatoes for three or four years, and they've tested, tested them and them. all of that, and they've tested them in different situations mm -hmm. and all. So you can trust the information that you get mm -hmm. from yeah. from Aggie Horticulture. And there's some good experienced gardeners in every community that can help you too. That uh, is true. So, so you find... Yeah. Find trustworthiness. Yeah. There you go. So. Well, uh, any other advice for uh, young or new gardeners? Well, I think as you get a little bit better, mm -hmm. you know, one thing, when you put in a new garden, so my little friend Priscilla that's, that's doing her garden, her parents went, they filled it up with the finest soil and everything that they had. Mm -hmm. So that soil was ready to grow. It didn't, it hadn't been depleted or whatever. I think one problem that gardeners have after they've been in the same place for two or three years, mm -hmm. the soil begins to deplete. Mm -hmm. It begins to get 
not such a great texture. The organic matter's breaking down. Yeah, it's settling, it's doing all of this, mm -hmm. and pests find it, you know? Mm -hmm. And somebody says, how do you have a pest-free garden? I say, well, move it every year, because yeah. it takes a while for the pests to find it. But anyway, you gotta continue to work that soil. And the other thing that I think gardeners do, you have to learn to water. Okay, and you have to learn to feed. I mean, if you're growing annual crops, like we mentioned earlier, they got to be fed. I think I've heard you say you wouldn't want to eat once a month, yeah. right? And yeah. so, but you can't overfeed. You know, overfeed can can kill. It can kill the soil life and all of that. So you have to learn how how and when to feed. Um, you have to learn how to keep that soil rich and productive and loose because most things that you say require drainage. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that a lot of gardeners don't realize. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm talking about, you know, a large um, raised bed garden. Mm -hmm. But all of this stuff definitely applies to your potted plants and all, too. Mm -hmm. You know, every two and three years, in my opinion, you should be dumping those potted plants out, you know, mm -hmm. knocking the soil off, putting those soils back in, in yeah. you know, fresh, good soil. Because in Texas, it just gets so hot, and we constantly water. So you're mm -hmm. constantly compacting the soil, leaching nutrients out of the soil. And, mm -hmm. and after two or three years, you know, that great potting soil mm -hmm. that you bought before is just not a great yeah. soil anymore. So learn to feed the soil, learn to feed your plants, and learn how to water properly. Mm -hmm. You know, more people, I love this, more people, more plants die every year from overwatering than underwatering. Yeah, that's especially true of houseplants. Yeah, yeah. that 100%. Yeah. So Interesting. Well, that is cool. Well, we've got a little bit of time left, but uh, I'd like to, you know, we go through phases right. uh, as we garden through the decades and maybe for a while. I remember Bill Adams. He was an extension horticulturist in Houston. And Bill, uh, I say he was, yeah, Bill's still around, but oh, he, yeah. uh, he uh, I remember he went through phases in his garden where he'd be very interested in this or that vegetable. I remember he went through a chicken phase where uh -huh. he also, it's like he was interested in every kind of chicken there was and so on. Tried to photograph everyone. Yeah, we, <laughs> that's right. We, he's an awesome photographer. Yeah. We, we go th sometimes, through th we're kind of interested in this, we're kind of interested in that. Uh, I'm currently in an okra phase that seems to have gone on for several years now. And I, Anyway, uh, what are you, what are your interests now in the garden? What what kinds of things do you like to grow? Um, maybe what are some things kind of recently that you're learning from just being out in the garden? So I'm transitioning from one. I don't know what you want to call it. The way I used to garden. Okay. You know, used to, and I think a lot of people do this. They start out, especially in the vegetable garden, as a traditional, get that tiller, turn that soil yeah. up, mound it up into rows, yeah. plant down those rows, and run it that way mm -hmm. and fight weeds for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a long time. Mm -hmm. But the more I did it, the more I began to realize, I don't think we need to till every year. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I started going more to a no-till, okay, and then I turned 60, and then when I turned 60, my knees hurt more, my back hurt more, and I said, I think I'm going to get away from this tilling in ground, and now I'm building a complete raised bed. There you go. And my dream, my absolute dream, is we have three cisterns on a couple of barns and a little structure mm -hmm. around there. I want to set up this raised bed to try to go and grow off of water capture. Okay. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna be successful, mm -hmm. but I wanna manage my plantings. I wanna have really good soil. Mm -hmm. I wanna have soil that you know retains water and things mm -hmm. like that. And I wanna try to set it up so that 
I'm a better steward. I want to be a better steward. I mean, in Texas, we're going to have, we have real water problems. They're only mm-hmm. going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I think generally gardeners overwater. Yeah. And, and so I want to learn to be a better steward of my resources. Well, you know, you, you mentioned that no-till. That is also a change for me. When I look through the decades of gardening I've been through, uh, that's a fairly recent one. And uh, I, you know, the mindset my whole life has been when you put in a garden, you pound the soil to death with a rototiller, make it all fluffy and, and plant. And you can garden that way. I mean, you can. obviously it works. been doing it for a long time. But even in agriculture now, the benefits of no-till, of leaving that root system in the ground to decay in the ground, of not constantly turning the soil over, uh, there's just a lot of reasons to do it, but it also, if you do it right, it can even be easier. You know, oh, I, yeah. I own a rototiller, but basically I use it to run down my rows where I pile leaves to decompose in the garden walkways. I use it to stir up that, or if I want to put a little nitrogen into the leaves to speed them up. Uh, yeah, no-till is a good way to go. I like that. And I know that it's catching on mm-hmm. because I have two tillers. I have a great big walk-behind tiller, and then I have a little manis tiller, which oh, is yeah. what I used to use to do yeah. the things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I can't give that big tiller away. Oh, can't? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I want it out of my garage. You know, it's a craftsman. It's great. Uh-huh. And everybody's like, eh, I just I don't till anymore. Yeah. I just, you know. Yeah. So I think that is catching on in, in the gardening mm-hmm. world. Yeah. So. It takes a little learning. I, if those of you listening that think, okay, I'm just going to stop tilling it you need to learn a little bit about because we still have to prepare the soil we still there's a process to that's that right thing. and there's still weeds that can take over there's and you still have weeds to control that them over. and yeah that's right but, uh, so what else uh, right now what are you kind of interested in horticulturally it doesn't have to be in the vegetable garden but what, what kinds of things are peaking your attention uh, so there's Two things that I'm kind of excited about this year. So number one, last year I found a lime green zinnia, and I loved it. I thought it was a cool color. It really looked good. It popped against the other color zinnias, and so I tried to save seed. And so I'm planting these zinnias again for the second time. But why I'm curious about this is because I have so many zinnias. And I I replant zinnias every year, but so many come up volunteer. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've seemed to learn with um, zinnias that evidently that purpley lavender color, that seems to be the dominant um, color characteristic on the Punit Square. Because, you know, because if you put it out, if you put out a row of zinnias that are red, yellow, white, orange, and with a little bit of the lavender Mm -hmm. ones in, in year two and year three of the ones that self-seed, they're all going to be lavender. Really? I've not seen that. That's been very interesting to me. So okay. I tried to grow my lime green ones in a different area mm-hmm. to try to separate them mm-hmm. from the other ones. So I'm kind of excited to see if my separation worked, if I was able to keep the different color genetics out of these. Yeah. And, I mean, they may be hybrid anyway. Right. Even if I was successful keeping them away from the lavender ones, yeah. You know, they may, if they were a hybrid, they may not come back true. Yeah. The other thing that I'm excited about is I am growing what they call patio open pollinated tomatoes. I, mm-hmm. I, a gentleman named Craig LaHoya, who's a great tomato breeder in North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he and another lady in Australia started developing these several years ago, and they did a cross-continental breeding program yes. so they could, you know, run two and three yes. crops a year. But, and what, what Jay's talking about is like above and below the equator. Right. So when we're having summer, you're growing tomatoes. When the southern hemisphere has summer, the they're same. growing tomatoes. So they're getting like two... They're speeding up the breeding process. That's right. They're getting two seasons yeah. for one. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, these are, they call them patio-sized tomatoes. I, 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 that's fine. They can call them what they want to. But basically, they're determinant tomatoes that produce tomatoes more like the look, flavor, and texture of the heirlooms. Okay. So, like, if you like Cherokee purple, mm -hmm. but you don't have room to grow a six-foot-tall and six-foot-diameter mm -hmm. bush, these supposedly will grow for you in a five-gallon bucket, and they'll only get three to, you know, four feet tall and yeah, wide. I think, wasn't Craig LaHuyer the guy that created Cherokee Purple? I think, yeah, I, I think, think he is. I think he was, yeah. And, um, Interesting. Was, um, well, I'll, I'll add on to, I, you know, I said, what are you interested in now? I think one of the things is you garden longer uh, that often creeps in is plant breeding. And right. that may seem like a complex thing. But we've got home gardeners all over the country that are playing as part of this big tomato experiment, you know, and they're getting all kinds of stuff that's oh, coming yeah. out. I, uh, uh, of course, just learned how to do okra, and so I'm creating my own crosses to create an okra that uh, I have a couple of goals and what I want it to be at the end. But uh, it's fun, and it's it easy. And you could do that with squash. That, that'd probably be oh, the yeah. easiest Squ one. Uh, you can, you know, create your own crosses. Uh, so... Yeah, I think I think that's cool. And that is fun. And and you're right. I mean, I think as you do advance in your skill level, mm -hmm. you want things. And so you do breeding, grafting, things mm -hmm. like that, you know, that do take a little more skill and, mm -hmm. and all do begin to interest you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that plant propagation, plant propagation. That, that yeah. is that is a fun thing to learn. Yeah. And there's I, so many ways to do it. I, I always tell my master gardener classes uh, during the propagation day that we are fixing to make them into very dangerous people. Uh, <laughs> every arboretum will check your pockets when you leave the <laughs> property because yeah. something might have gotten pinched off or a seed head pulled off or something. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I've talked to garden centers and I did not realize how much this was going on but they just say you just can't imagine how many people come in and look at the house plants and pinch something off oh and yeah it, that basically is stealing it it is know? but seriously plant propagation is a fun skill that, it is that is that is a cool one you know you mentioned bill adams just fyi yeah. he loves jujubes Mm -hmm. He lives close to me, so I have jujubes. Okay. And I have one jujube that has three different varieties of jujube growing on one piece of rootstock. There you go. And if, yeah, if you learn how to graft and bud, wow. That opens oh, up I didn't. Things. He did it. Oh, he Bill, did. It. Bill came and did it for me. He. Well, um, that's a way to get things done. Yeah. That, you're kind of like a Tom Sawyer story there. You there know, you, you go. Got the, you got the fence painted. That's right. <laughs> well, by a true pro. Yeah, by a true pro. Oh my gosh. Any any other thoughts? Kind of closing thoughts. Um, you know, regarding what you're interested in right now. and uh, Well, since some, we just have a few minutes, I just would like to kind of wrap up uh, one of our personal, one of the ways that we feel about gardening. Mm -hmm. So right now there are so many, I don't even know how many millions of people are in Texas, mm -hmm. but they estimate that one in three people do some kind of gardening in Texas. Mm 
Hmm. All right, and that's across the world. I mean, gardening is thought of as the first or second most participated in hobby across mm-hmm. the world. And I think because of that, we have a little saying that, that we talk about in the magazine that gardening matters. Hmm. And, and I really believe that. And I think as gardeners, we're in a unique position to help our, our community. You know, we can help the state by using low water practices so that we start conserving some of the water resources that we have. But we can also do things like we can take part of our vegetable harvest and take it down to the food bank or share with the shut-in or whatever. So as a gardener, you know, we're really in a great place to improve our our community, our environment, um, and our society. So mm-hmm. this spring, you know, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little worked up here. But mm-hmm. get outside, plant, enjoy, you know, the bounty that that we're given, and share that bounty. You know, share with your community, improve where you're at, and do it through gardening. That's that is that is cool. It, we're biased, but that doesn't mean we're wrong. That's right. <laughs> okay, uh, so. I, I'll I'll just about wrap us up here with a quote by from Ralph Waldo Emerson back in oh gosh late 1800s I think he said this when I go into my garden with a spade and dig a bed I feel such an exhilaration and health that I discover that I've been defrauding myself of all this time and letting others grow and do for me what I should have done with my own hands Yes. Uh, and there, you know, th- there's another quote that at the end of the day, your fingernails should be dirt. There should be dirt under your fingernails and grass stains on your jean knees or something. Uh, it It's a, a wonderful hobby. And Jay, thank you so much. We've been talking with Jay White of Texas Gardener Magazine. Uh, so appreciate you coming in here. Thank you, Skip. I love it. And love give us the website if people want to uh, find out about the magazine. www.texasgardener.com. All right. Well, folks, we will be back live again next week. I hope you've enjoyed today's show uh, as much as I have and uh, look forward to visiting with you and answering your questions next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.